They're talking about you. They're all talking about you. About what you wear, what you eat, what you do, everything. And they're watching you, waiting for you to stumble and fall, and give them more to talk about. If you aren't interesting enough, that's okay. They can make it up. Oh, this imagined, exaggerated version of you is so much more fun. Much easier to put into a box. Who cares if you didn't do anything? We've decided you did. I mean, let them eat cake. What a thing to say, Your Majesty. I'm your host, Harper Hunt, and this is Cursed Knowledge. What does it mean to become a cartoon? And I don't mean like Cartoon Network or Crunchyroll cartoon. This is when the idea of you supersedes the reality, when your reputation precedes you. Here's a quick example. Cleopatra. What comes to mind when you think of her? Elizabeth Taylor? A spirit Halloween costume? She's known as the Queen of the Nile, and is regarded as one of the most famous seductresses in history. The myth of Cleopatra is that she was the most beautiful woman alive, someone who seduced both Julius Caesar and Mark Antony, and kinda sorta created the Roman Empire. The truth of Cleopatra is that she was one of the most intelligent women of her day. She was fluent in over seven languages, and it was her quick wit that captured attention. Sure, she was beautiful, in the way all powerful women are beautiful, but it was her mind that ensnared people. The exotic temptress luring men to their doom is the cartoon, the reputation that has overshadowed the reality. But I'm not actually here to talk about Cleopatra. As you may have guessed from the title of this podcast, we'll be talking about another infamous queen. Before I talk about Marie Antoinette, I want to tell you about Maria Antonia, the youngest daughter of Empress Maria Theresa of Austria, someone who was very close with her sisters and mother, and when she was seven, met fellow seven-year-old Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Her education was of the level of a princess, but Maria struggled to meet expectations. At ten, she was not yet fluent in German, French, and Italian, I know, how shameful. But she was quite skilled at instruments like the harp, harpsichord, and the flute. When she was 13, she was chosen to marry Louis XVI, the then Dauphin of France. Her French tutor found her to be more intelligent than generally supposed, but lazy and extremely frivolous. So, you know, a 13-year-old girl. Her engagement and later marriage was entirely political. Her mother wanted to ease tensions with France and create a united front against Great Britain and Prussia. She was married at 14 by proxy and sent off to France, leaving behind her friends, family, and everything she'd ever known. She 
She even lost her name. Maria Antonia was no more. Now Marie Antoinette would take her place. She arrived in France to mixed reviews. Oh, her first official appearance was a success. She was beautiful, charming, and initially well-liked by the common people. But there were also many who disliked what she represented. They were opposed to the alliance with Austria and resented her presence in the royal palace. This 14-year-old was now caught up in a whirlwind of political intrigue and doublespeak that would confuse even the most die-hard Game of Thrones fan. There was almost an international incident over whether or not Marie Antoinette would acknowledge King Louis XV's mistress. For her first few years in France, Marie Antoinette was little more than a bauble, a pretty thing to be taken out and admired and then put away again. She was raised by the most powerful woman in Europe, but women had no power here. She was never called on to act and had no real interest in ruling, so she grew more and more comfortable in her lifestyle of doing nothing. Her husband was also, uh, interesting. Look, I'm just saying there's a reason why everyone knows the name Marie Antoinette and not Louis XVI. By all accounts, he was nice enough. He wasn't cruel or malicious. He was just uninterested. He didn't care about being king. He preferred to spend his days working with locks and clocks. And he didn't care about his wife. He rarely visited her for <clears throat> certain duties and largely ignored her unless they were required to interact. It took Marie Antoinette's brother arriving in France to ask Louis what the fuck was going on for the wedding to not have been consummated eight years after they were married. Overall, the relationship was very distant and more performative than anything else. The two did eventually begin to have children, but even as the mother to his children, Louis never afforded Marie Antoinette much authority. Not that she was pushing for it. The first time she's known to have put any pressure on Louis was almost four years into their reign, when she asked for France to intervene on behalf of the Austrian claim to Bavaria. And that was pretty much the last time. She decided to occupy her time with her children and enjoying the wonders and splendors of being queen. Really, the closest she ever came to interacting with life outside the golden cage was itself a tone-deaf charade. On the grounds of Versailles, there was a fake village, where Marie Antoinette would pretend to be a peasant and indulge in a charmingly rustic lifestyle. Very much like a child playing dress-up, she would play with animals and oversee a farm. Of course, it was all far too clean and well-maintained. Much like visiting Disney World and thinking, that's really what Florida's like. She was utterly separated from reality. And of course, that would famously be her doom. When the French people turned on the nobility during the French Revolution, it was the beginning of the end. She first attempted to flee to Austria with her family, but they were captured not a day after they left. After the failed attempt, she was imprisoned and eventually lost her status as queen in 1792. She lost her head in 93. Her last words after stepping on her executioner's foot, were, Forgive me, 
I did not mean to. The truth is, Marie Antoinette was in over her head. She was not an innately gifted statesman, and no one ever pushed her to be great. Her life was perfectly charmed, up until the moment it wasn't. She was not a schemer or a plotter, and her extravagance was born out of ignorance and naivete, not callous disregard. So how did Marie Antoinette become Marie Antoinette? It's not a nice story. The cartoonification of Marie Antoinette started during her lifetime. While the common people initially loved the beautiful little princess, they soon grew to hate the wasteful foreign queen. And let me just say, if you thought the British tabloids were ruthless in their coverage of Meghan Markle, you haven't seen anything yet. 18th century France didn't have glossy magazines. They had libelles. Please forgive my butchering of the word, I'm just going to call them pamphlets. Because that's what they were. They were pamphlets that almost exclusively attacked political figures. And Marie Antoinette was their favorite target. Her two biggest problems were that she was Austrian and a woman. Her foreign background made her an easy scapegoat. There wasn't anyone from France making these mistakes, but rather an Austrian. She was different and not like the good Frenchman. They could blame the foreigner for tainting the beloved monarchy and hide it all behind misguided patriotism. Her sex also opened the door to a million and one misogynistic jokes, cartoons, and think pieces. It was 4chan before the internet. Her perceived inability to have children was a prime target at the beginning of her reign. For noble women, Having children was their only real job, even more so if you were the queen. So, if she wasn't popping out princes and princesses, she was a failure. And, of course, it was solely her fault. The French prince and later king couldn't be responsible. It must be her. Of course, having children didn't stop the lies. It only shifted them. Now the pamphlets detailed a string of lovers— questioning the paternity of every child Marie Antoinette would ever have, despite no evidence of her ever having an affair. And when she did make a mistake? Oh, it was like a dog with a bone, breaking it open to suck the marrow out. Remember how Marie Antoinette asked Louis XVI to help Austria secure Bavaria? Turned out, the French didn't like this. They saw it as proof that she was putting Austrian interests over France, that she was, and always would be, a foreigner, unworthy of the respect they paid to their fellow countrymen. This became the lens through which her every action was seen. A visit from her brother? She must be secretly giving him money from the French treasury. Speaking to a man not her husband? It's a torrid affair. Everything she did was seen in the most uncharitable light. She was a rot infecting the very heart of France. And then we have the diamond necklace affair. Okay, I could do a whole cursed knowledge just about this. It is messy. And it destroyed whatever was left of Marie Antoinette's reputation. The scandal centers around a diamond necklace. I know, not super creative. The necklace was originally commissioned for Louis XV's 
favorite mistress, Madame Duberry. But Louis had died, and Duberry was banished from court before the necklace could be finished. And it cost a fortune, around 15 million U.S. dollars in today's money. So the jewelers were hopeful that the new queen would be interested in it. She was not. She actually turned down an offer to purchase the necklace twice. So in comes conwoman Jeanne de Lamotte, a minor noblewoman and mistress to Cardinal de Rohan. Now, Marie Antoinette did not like Rohan, and he was trying very hard to fix that. So he turned to his love Jeanne for help. Through Jeanne, he began passing notes to Marie Antoinette and became convinced that she was in love with him. He even had a secret meeting with her in the gardens. Of course, it was really Jean writing the letters, pretending to be Marie Antoinette, and the woman he met was a prostitute who vaguely resembled the queen. But of course, he didn't know that. Jean, as Marie Antoinette, told Rohan that she desperately wanted the necklace and needed him to get it for her. Rohan jumped at the opportunity and ran to the jewelers. He promised the payment would come in installments with the queen's word as insurance. So they agreed. He got the necklace and passed it on to Jean, who promptly broke it down into pieces and sold it on the black market. But this wasn't known to anyone but Jean. Instead, Marie Antoinette was blamed for seducing a cardinal and refusing to pay hard-working Frenchmen. It ruined her. It didn't matter that the truth soon came out, or that she was entirely unaware of the whole thing. The public at this point was well-trained to see the worst in her, and this was not an exception. They believed she must have been working with Jean, or else was somehow involved. The whole affair cemented her reputation as a manipulative spendthrift who cared more about her vanity than the people of France. And there was no going back. As news of the scandal spread, it brought with it new and even more vulgar pamphlets, and the cartoon of Marie Antoinette spread. Her depravity and shamelessness had become common knowledge. Everyone knew she was frivolous and uncaring. So, to sell pamphlets, the writers began to step up their game and lower their standards. They printed pornographic images of Marie Antoinette that showed her coupling with men, women, and even animals. She was now widely known as the Austrian bitch. The pamphlets and the vitriol only increased once the French Revolution started in earnest. The people had taken up arms and the future of the monarchy was uncertain. So the press printed stories of her screwing everything with the pulse and would bring in former associates to corroborate the stories. This is also where we get the most heartbreaking accusation. During the Reign of Terror, Marie Antoinette was imprisoned and awaiting trial. Though she had been stripped of her title of queen, the Committee of Public Safety still needed cause to execute her. Most of the charges came straight from the pamphlets. Orchestrating orgies, stealing money for Austria, and incest, a charge brought forth by her young son, Louis Charles. Louis Charles had been taken from his mother during their imprisonment 
and placed in the custody of the Committee of Public Safety. Most reports agree that he was extremely poorly treated and heavily influenced by the radicals guarding him. When he accused his mother of committing incest, he was only eight. Marie Antoinette was found guilty and sentenced to death. But the cartoon of Marie Antoinette lived on. She became the face of French opulence, of the decadence and carelessness that destroyed the monarchy. Even today, we associate her with extravagance. The cartoon of a woman who was so out of touch with reality that when told her subjects had no bread to eat, she replied, then let them eat cake. Just to clarify, she never actually said this. But that's the power of a cartoon. It can create a facade so powerful and all-consuming that the truth is completely hidden. And they're all around us. You can find the cartoons we've created pretty much everywhere. It's the common knowledge of an idea of a person. It's what you see in the SNL sketches. There's no escaping it. And there's no fighting it. Sometimes the only thing you can do is embrace it. Instead of waiting for people to impose a cartoon onto you, make your own. Decide what your story is and dive into it, no matter how cheesy or over-the-top it might be. If you're in on the joke, maybe you can regain some control over the narrative. Hey, it's got to be worth a shot. I hope you learned something new. And remember, the real curse is sharing this information with your friends, family, and unsuspecting co-workers. If you enjoyed this production, like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, tell us some of your most cursed knowledge and join us on the forums at EpsilonTheory.com. had all of his nobles join elaborate ballets that starred him as the primo ballerino? 